There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. lover's lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. The end of 2011 and the beginning of 2012 have brought us a whole slew of big new record releases. I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim Deergatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Greg and I will review new records by Common, The Black Keys, and more. And then it's my partner's turn to add a new track to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. There's a fire starting in my heart Reaching a fever pitch and it's bringing me out the dark Finally, I can see you crystal clear. Go ahead and sell me out, and I'll lay your ship See That, of course, is Adele, one of the biggest news stories of 2011. You know, Jim, most industries would be depressed reporting that they had a flat year in sales, but not the music industry. We're talking about an industry that has been in the dumps for a decade with. declines annually since the beginning of the last decade, a 13% drop in sales in 2010, and yet in 2011, things leveled off for the first time in more than 10 years. We're bleeding less. Yes, we are bleeding less, and Adele was a big reason why they had this recovery in 2011. The 21 album, which is up for all those Grammy Awards in the next few weeks, uh, sold 5.2 million copies and counting. In addition, her previous album, 19, sold nearly a million copies, so a huge year for the English singer-songwriter. Rolling in the Deep Alone, the big single we just played at the top of the show here, 5.6 million downloads. So not only was she an album-selling artist, she was also a singles artist, which everyone tells us is the key to a successful career in coming years. Now, Jim, another thing about these year-end numbers that fascinates me, the what is going to end up as the number two best-selling album of 2011 that Michael Buble Christmas album. (laughs) You know, you and I and a lot of other people keep wondering, why do they keep making Christmas albums with the same songs on them over and over again? Why do they keep putting them out? Why why do you keep making an inferior (laughs) Frank Sinatra Christmas album? Exactly, because people keep buying them, apparently. As I said, Buble with the second best-selling album of the year, Justin Bieber with a Christmas album selling over a million copies. Underperforming in 2011, Jim, under 300,000 sales after formerly multi-million selling careers. Daughtry, Blink-182, Essence, The Game. That's because they didn't make Christmas records. Obviously not. Red Hot Chili Peppers, they might consider making their own Christmas album, too. Their sales were under a half million after selling more than two million copies of their previous album. And Coldplay, who sold nearly a million copies of their previous album in one week, didn't even reach a million on Milo Xyloto after nearly a half year of sales in 2011. 
That's because we didn't like the record when we reviewed it here on Sound <laughs> Opinions. Greg, live music continues to be a lot healthier than the sale of recorded music, although there has been a dip. The 25 biggest tours in 2011 combined to make $2.1 billion worldwide. That's flat from 2010. But let me tell you again, $2.1 billion, nothing to sneeze at. In North America, there was a 4% dip among the top 25 tours, but still they brought in $1.2 billion. And that's because the prices are going up and people are showing a little bit of reluctance. Who was the number one touring act of 2011? U2. The thing about that is, this was the same tour they did in 2010. This was just the second round through, cashing in with the same show. Nevertheless, 1.7 million tickets sold, according to Polestar, which is the concert industry trade magazine. That's a total of 231 million dollars. <laughs> the other big tours in North America last year, Taylor Swift made almost 98 million dollars, Kenny Chesney made almost 85 million, Lady Gaga took in 64 million, and Bon Jovi, what decade is this? <laughs> took in 57 million dollars. <laughs> Send lawyers, guns, and money indeed. Greg, sometimes it feels like we are legal reporters with the <laughs> amount of uh, stories we're having to cover these days about, about legal rulings that affect the music business. Yet, this is a historic time. The decisions that are being made right now are going to affect the future of this art form that we love for the next century. Let's face it. Variety, one of the entertainment industry trade journals, did a really interesting article at the end of the year. What are the key legal cases, the rulings coming up to look for in 2012? I'm going to focus on the ones that really will affect the music world. This first one is kind of on the fence. It's the FCC versus Fox Television. The music angle here is, remember this? Way back when, Cher slipped up and cursed on the Billboard Music Awards, and Janet Jackson had the infamous uh, wardrobe malfunction at the <laughs> Super Bowl. That's 2004. And yet it's finally coming to the Supreme Court early this month with oral arguments about whether the FCC's indecency policy over, quote, fleeting expletives, and I, I would assume chance wardrobe malfunctions, is that constitutional to levy heavy fines over something that was clearly a spur-of-the-moment mistake? The broadcast networks obviously would like to not have to pay when that sort of thing happens. We're going to see what the Supreme Court says. Big ramifications for music, Viacom versus Google slash YouTube. Federal appellate court ruling is expected soon in Viacom's billion-dollar suit against Google and YouTube for airing copyright-infringing clips of South Park, The Colbert Report, and a million other shows. Viacom says YouTube built its business on content that Viacom owns. This includes a lot of music content as well. Another one, similar vein, Disney versus Hot File. Hotfile is a type of cyber locker. 
The big Hollywood powers are saying that these lockers are a tool that makes the illegal trading of content files a lot easier, even easier than BitTorrent, okay, whether it's movies, TV shows, or albums. They would like to see Congress initiate some legislation forcing the Internet service providers to, if not shut them down, take mitigation measures, which would include reduced Internet speed. Is that going to happen? Finally, we have, and who would have ever thought I'd say this, a village person with a major copyright suit that could affect the rights of all artists. Scorpio Music versus Victor Willis. Victor, you'll remember, was the cop in The Village People. He is about to reclaim the rights to some of The Village People's biggest hits. The 1976 Copyright Act allows artists to reclaim their songs 35 years after their release. We're coming up on the anniversary of 1978, which is some of the biggest hits of the disco era. Willis wants those songs back. Scorpio Music, one of the publishers, is saying, no, that's not really true. This was work for hire. You know, we created the Village People. You wrote these songs. Uh, This is going to have ramifications on, on other artists. They don't want to keep losing that revenue to some publishing company that they sold their music to when they were 20, and now they're 50 We're going to have to see how that winds its way through the federal courts. That is Peter Frampton with Show Me the Way from what is one of the biggest selling double albums of all time. Frampton Comes Alive. Now, come on, either you own a copy or you know somebody who did. Well, that guitar, that 1954 Gibson Les Paul that Frampton played on that album, has been missing for over 30 years. Now, I know you've been on the edge of your seat wondering what happened to Peter Frampton's guitar that he played in the 70s. I've been wondering what happened to Peter Frampton. In case you're minimizing this story, the New York Times, of all publications, devoted hundreds of words to this subject the other day on the fact that Peter Frampton has been reunited with that famous Les Paul after 31 years. The guitar was thought to have been lost totally in November 1980 when a cargo plane that was carrying it crashed on takeoff in Venezuela on its way to Panama. Now, Frampton was playing a gig in Panama. I never saw the guitar again, assumed it was lost in the crash. No, somebody apparently plucked the guitar from the burning wreckage, sold it to a musician who ended up playing it on the Caribbean island of Curaçao and had been using it for the last 30 years, playing these hotel gigs, etc., not really realizing what that guitar was, who had previously owned it. Finally, a customs official who was asked to repair the guitar Recognize, wait a minute, this might be Peter Frampton's guitar. He was a big fan. He consulted some other experts on the subject and realized he had the missing Peter Frampton guitar. Eventually, the guitar was bought for $5,000 from this musician who was glad to have the money, and the guitar was returned to Frampton. The customs agent says... This guitar was him. The whole 1970s was this guitar. (laughs) I'm really happy personally, Jim, for Peter Frampton that he has his 70s back. I'm thinking this is a Spielberg movie. The heck with a boy and his horse. This is the story of a boy and his guitar. (laughs) If you've got any thoughts about this week's heartwarming reunion or any of the other news stories we just reported, give us a call at 888-859-1800.
is a little bit of Amy Winehouse with the Goffin and King classic Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow on her new album Lioness Hidden Treasures, a posthumous release. Winehouse died in July of 2011. This artist was raised in North London to a Jewish father and a Russian mom. And her father used to go around when she was a baby singing Sinatra songs to her. She had this lifelong fascination. Indeed, she wanted to live, I think, in the early 60s, that era of girl groups and wonderful R&B pop soul singles. She started her career very much consciously imitating that sound and that style, the towering beehive and the ton of mascara, with a 2003 album called Frank. But people really only caught up with her on Back to Black in 2006. It was a phenomenon. It was the Adele of its time. Indeed, Adele credits Amy Winehouse with opening the doors to her. Won five Grammys in 2006, and then people kept waiting. What else can you give us, Amy? Instead, what we got was a very public, sad spiral of self-destruction to drug addiction and self-abuse. She was on her way to recording a third album, but this first posthumous release doesn't have many of those tracks from what I gather. What we get here, compiled by her regular producers and co-songwriters, including Mark Ronson uh, and Salem Remy, is a collection of covers. Girl from Ipanema, Our Day Will Come, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, that duet with Tony Bennett, and only two original tracks, one of which we'll play for you now before we give our review. This is the song Like Smoke by Amy Winehouse on Sound Opinions. I never want you to be my man Script to proofread. I spit some untruths to dumb fools or groupies. Fun to punctuate, pronunciate the funds I make. I'm also take, put in your face. Oh, my mistake, you're not a floozy, then excuse me. Before I talk my style, introduce me. Get your name and phone number like one, two, three. Y'all know the story, y'all know the commentary. I kick the narrative. This is legendary, the good Samaritan. Hood thespian, like a polygamist with a twist. Will I marry again? Maybe, I guess. I hold a lady interest. I just met the love scholar, she the teacher's pet. Every other eve we meet and make each other sweat I feel triumphant, no strings, just a fling to have fun with I'll be out in London, Camden, hunting for the answers Why did God take away the homie? I can't stand it, I'm a firm believer that we all meet up in eternity Just hope the big man show me some courtesy, why? Cause I'm deemed a heartbreaker like smoke girls ling around a player Yeah, 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 yeah I never wanted you to be That is Like Smoke from Amy Winehouse, the posthumous release, Lioness, Hidden Treasures. Man, Hidden Treasures, really? Is that what these are? Is this the best that Amy Winehouse has left over from her career? If so, Jim, that's really sad. 
And I call out the people who are curating her estate for allowing this recording to even be released. There are a few moments where you hear why she was so successful. The production is, you know, very crisp. Those snare drums, that bubbling bass, those staccato horns, you know, tasteful strings. Ronson and Remy knew what they were doing. Winehouse's voice, though, is not up to par on many of these recordings. She sounds very slurry, blurry, not quite there. The duet with Bennett, I think, is very telling. Why haven't you seen it? I'm all for you, body and soul. I spent my days in a hunger. He's right on. He's very crisp. His diction is right there. She sounds kind of out of it, frankly. There's one moment on this record that gets me, the the Leon Russell cover, A Song for You, where, you know, that sort of dissipated sense of I'm not quite all here, I'm I'm losing my grip, really kind of fits the song's lyric. Otherwise, this is an incredible exploitation of her. Uh, to, to think that her fans are going to go out and buy this and say, well, this is what Amy's third album might have sounded like. I don't think she was even close, Jim. I don't think she was even close to making that third record. And if indeed she was, you know, shame on them for allowing this stuff to come out. Uh, Greg, it's, it's grave robbing, pure and simple. And I really hope that this is not the beginning of another sad pattern of it like we've seen uh, Tupac Shakur or Jimi Hendrix. I don't think she would have approved this release in her lifetime. She brings very little, if not nothing, flat out to some of these covers. I mean, her girl from Ipanema, forget about it. And I disagree with you about the production. I don't think it's all that crisp and clean. I think something like Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow is downright clunky. Mm. You know, it was awful. No wonder she didn't sing it very well. It was a rotten arrangement. It's just heartbreakingly bad. Nevertheless, it debuted at number one in the UK, at number five in the US, and it's her best first week sales ever. Just a shame, Greg, a double trash it from the two of us. We're going to return to sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with more record reviews, including the latest from the recently reunited Guided by Voices. For the wild, 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 wild
My name is Common. Common. No ID. Ha. Uh. Ferrari testers. Armani dressers. Exquisite thick bitches and body blessers. Rest assured we getting festive in Miami now. So my nigga, yeah, I'm about to win the Grammys now. Getting Johnny Cash, old white folks knowing now. Staying close to the mic like I'm COVID now. We celebrate the shots of the hate because we got love. It's the pop life. A lot of faces pop up. Known the tech club and the block up. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and that is a track from the new Common album, The Dreamer, The Believer, called The Dreamer. This is Common's first album since his 2008 release, Universal Mind Control, and really the first since his Hollywood and TV career really took off. You've been seeing Common in a number of movies and a number of TV series. The recording career has really been on the back burner for the last couple of years. But it wasn't always so. In the early 90s, he was the first major voice to emerge from the Chicago hip-hop scene. In fact, laid the groundwork for the future success of artists like Kanye West, Lupe Fiasco, Rhymefest. He really was an influence and a mentor in many ways to all of them. His collaborator during those early days was a producer named No ID, otherwise known as Dion Wilson. Both Southside residents, both came up together, both developed a sound and a sensibility that was really steeped in late 60s, early 70s, soul, funk, and R&B, sort of bringing that classic sound forward, Dusties as they're called in Chicago, and updating it for the hip-hop generation. On the Dreamer, the Believer, Common has reunited with Dion Wilson, no ID, and is in some ways people are saying is trying to get back to that sound that he established in the early 90s that in many ways helped people like Kanye West uh, become the established star that he is today. We're going to play a track from the Common album first before we review it. It's called Lovin' I Lost, which references another hero of Common and No IDs, Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. 
That is Lovin' I Lost by Common on Sound Opinions from the Dreamer, the Believer, the ninth studio album he's given us. Greg, paying tribute to Curtis Mayfield. There's a song that ends the album that pays tribute to Gil Scott Heron, the song that opens the album. We get a little snippet of Maya Angelou. People are rolling their eyes. The knock on Common always has been he is a positive hippie backpacker. There's no substance there. People who really know his work know that that's not true. He's always been musically inventive. He is a master rhymer, freestyling. Nobody can beat him, okay? And then there is this positivity, and yet he admits his flaws and faults. He is human. He sings here a lot about his more lustful adventures. Now, when he's boasting about being a great rapper, saying, I am to hip-hop what Obama is to politics, you know, okay, you just want to groan. But but the sexual confessions of all the kind of nasty things he wishes he would do, but he doesn't want to do that because he loves and respects women and he's a good <laughs> father of a young daughter. I mean, it's just amazing stuff. He really raps from the heart. That having been said, I had no expectations for this record because Universal Mind Control in 2008 was the biggest turd of his career. It really was a heartbreaking disappointment because he really was pandering to that kind of thuggish behavior that he'd avoided throughout an entire two-and-a-half-decade career. What are you doing, Common? Well, it's clear. He was going Hollywood, you know? He's off on hell on wheels, okay? To go back and to make a record like this that really brings him back to the positivity, the spirituality, the community, the heartfelt uh, conversation about relationships, I didn't, I didn't think he was capable of it. I'm so glad to get it. This is definitely a buy-it record. Well, this is definitely a reconciliation record, Jim. That's the way I hear it. That track in particular that we just played, Love and I Lost, is, uh, you know, could be interpreted as him reconciling with a girlfriend, but in some ways I see it as him reconciling with hip-hop, and specifically the style that he and No ID created back in the 90s. This record is so 90s, it really doesn't have anything to do with contemporary hip-hop or the flamboyance associated with it, the, the braggadocio associated with it. When Common does try to play the club thug or the high roller or or the braggart, he really doesn't sound like himself. It's when he's getting back to these kind of more soulful kind of songs that talk about self-empowerment and optimism and hope that he really sounds like himself, like like that kid who came up in the 90s and kind of created a Midwestern blue-collar sound. I'm not going to make any great claims for this record. I don't think it's a masterpiece on uh, the level of some of Common's best work. I think the last great record he made was that collaboration with Kanye West, actually, a few years ago called B. It's not up to that level. But overall, it's a strong return to form, a much better record than Universal Mind Control. I'm going to give it a burn it rating. Starts off the day with a crispy cream donut as sweet as life can Runs out to play with the promising uncles who promise her a pet. She likes the good humor man. She likes his song. When everything goes right for her, when everything goes wrong. Greg, don't ask me what this title means, but that is a song called Donut for a Snowman by Guided by Voices from its new album. We never thought we'd say there would be a new Guided by Voices album. Let's go eat the factory. 
Guided by Voices had a long and storied history in the indie rock underground. Between 1986 and 1992, mainly working in the uh, home studio <laughs> cassette deck powered of a schoolteacher, Robert Pollard, in Dayton, Ohio, they released a startling, I think it was five or six albums. And all of a sudden, the world kind of discovered them. What are these buzzing lo-fi recordings that are equal parts Who and Britpop and post-punk, like Buzzcocks and Wire, who are these guys? They were the toast of the underground for a long stretch there in the 90s as alternative rock was exploding on the top of the charts. People who really were cool were loving these DIY Guided by Voices releases, and there were a lot of them. This band put new meaning to the word prolific. There were a lot of recordings, and on each recording there were 30 or 40 songs. Short, sharp, people said sweet. People loved the songwriting. People liked when they finally got out of the basement and became a live act. And then in the spring of 2004, former school teacher Bob Pollard pulls the plug on the band. He's going solo. That's the end. No more Guided by Voices. However, they came back in 2010. He's putting the band back together, at least the 1993 to 96 lineup. They've been out there doing shows. Now they have a new album, their first in eight years. Let's hear a track from Let's Go Eat the Factory. This is the unsinkable Fats Domino by Guided by Voices on Sound Opinions. How's your life a cycle compared to your next rival? A 59 revival, a thousand five survival. Then this regard, unthinkable, and be like the unsinkable that's domino. unsinkable Fats Domino from the new Guided by Voices record, Let's Go Eat the Factory. You know, by now, Jim, I think all the Guided by Voices fans know the drill. You're going to get a lot of songs in a very short amount of time. This album comes in at 41 minutes. There's 21 songs crammed in there. And all of those Robert Pollard hallmarks are there. You know, there's very concise songs, sometimes ridiculously short. Mm-hmm. There's some songs that are only seconds long on this on this record. There are going to be these weird arty experiments juxtaposed with these kind of heavy kind of, you know, pseudo-arena rock songs. So you're going to get these booming melodies next to these weird experimental things. You're going to get these cut-up lyrics. You, you could spend 
weeks, months, years trying to figure out what exactly is he trying to say here? Is it just nonsense or is he trying to say something more poetic? And then there's this air of tossed off spontaneity, this idea that, you know, we're just going to record what we feel and we're not going to do any overdubs and we're not we're going to basically put out everything that we've ever thought of on this record. And they do that three or four times a year, or at least Pollard does. He's incredibly prolific. In that time since the last Guided by Voices record, I think he's put out something like 13 records that he's been associated with. Uh. So it's not like he ever went away. Okay, I don't think this record is going to make any new Guided by Voices converts. But that said, I think it's a pretty good Guided by Voices record. And the reason for that is not only is Pollard kind of the main songwriter here, but he's brought Tobin Sprout back into the band. And you mentioned that lineup from 93-96. Many people consider that the so-called classic lineup. And the main reason was that Tobin Sprout was writing a number of songs on key records like B-1000 and Alien Lanes. Uh, Sprout was a big part of that. So the batting average here is a lot higher than most Guided by Voices records, which are very hit and miss, I'll admit that. But the great songs are pretty darn great. You can put together a greatest hits collection of Guided by Voices material that I think will blow newcomers away, and I think this record has several additions to that canon. I'm not going to give it a buy it rating. I think there are several better GBV records than this one, but it's a burn it for me. Greg, my life is too short to have to put Guided by Voices best of collections together because <laughs> Robert Pollard is too lazy to do it. I like certain songs from throughout their catalog. If you like rock and roll, there's no way that you can't. However, this kind of spewing everything onto the tape and no editing, no control, no BS detector about what is good and what is bad, making me wade through it all. I, you know, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I got tired of doing it with Guided <laughs> by Voices. Now they're back. It's the same thing. I mean, what if, you know, he's always wa- wanted to make why Pink Flag. He's told me that. He's told you that. One perfect album with 21 songs. Why don't you do it, Bob? What I have here are like three or four good songs and then a whole lot of filler and, and aborted ideas and started experiments that are never finished. This is a trash it record. Oof. Man. Continuing with our record review show, Jim, that is a new one from the Black Keys called El Camino, their seventh studio album. It's a track called Lonely Boy, the first single. This is from the duo of Patrick Carney and Dan Arbach, originally from Akron, Ohio, now based in Nashville. They were signed about a decade ago to the Fat Possum label, and that sort of put them in that blues pocket, along with fellow artists on the label like uh, Junior Kimbrough and R.L. Burnside. They've since expanded the approach considerably. They tour consistently, 200 shows a year, going from the smallest club level to the point where they're now touring arenas in uh, early 2012. One of the biggest rock acts in the world, really, when you think about it. And a lot of the key was not only the, the touring, but a breakthrough song in 2010 with producer DJ Danger Mouse, a.k.a. Brian Burton, called Tighten Up that won them three Grammy Awards. That really 
elevated their exposure on a national level. A band that didn't really have a lot of airplay before that, but had done extensive touring. Now they've got the best of both worlds. They brought Danger Mouse back as a full-fledged collaborator on El Camino. He's not only the co-producer, but he's also co-writing all of the tunes. Here's a track from it. It's called Hell of a Season from the Black Keys on Sound Opinions. with hell of a season from El Camino. I'll say it flat out up top, Greg, that is a masterpiece. This record is a masterpiece. I never thought I'd say that. I was not a Black Keys fan. On stage, you got a whole lot of sweat and a whole lot of flopping around. On album, you got White Stripes wannabes. That was my take on them through the first six records. I don't know where this one comes from. There is a wall of sound here that is just exquisite. Everything from uh, celestes and glockenspiels to horns. A lot of it is Danger Mouse, but it never overwhelms the songs. The songwriting is the key. You get some glam rock. You get some bombastic blues rock. You get Nuggets-style garage rock. You even get a, like, Led Zeppelin folk blues to rock anthem in that song Little Black Submarines I should have seen it glow but everybody knows that a broken heart is blind that a broken heart is blind The songwriting's great. The sound is great. This band really surprised me. I didn't think they had this in them. This is definitely an enthusiastic buy-it record. Jim, I think their experience with working with a number of hip-hop artists in recent years is really paying off on their recent records. Danger Mouse, obviously, is coming from that world as well, and I think you're right. I think he has tightened up their songwriting to a great extent. What I'm hearing is them basically playing what are the equivalent of breakbeats on their instruments, the drums and the guitars. They're going for that sweet spot of the song, and they're just hammering it home. Uh, with those hooks coming at you fast and heavy. 
And that's a great approach. It's very concise. They're taking out all the fat. 11 songs, 38 minutes. They get right to that chorus really quickly. It's an exciting approach for this band. I think you're right. People maybe have associated with them with kind of more of a uh, a trance boogie kind of sound in their earlier days where the songs were more expansive, maybe even jammy. Now they're all about the hooks and the songs on El Camino. And that is a refreshing approach for somebody like yourself, a non-believer, I love their live approach. I didn't think they ever quite nailed it on record. I think they're getting a lot closer with El Camino. It's a buy-it record as well for me. So that's a double buy-it for El Camino by the Black Keys. Now we'd love to turn it over to you to tell us what you think of these albums or anything else in the music world at 888-859-1800. We'll be back in a minute with a final review of the latest from the hip-hop group The Roots, as well as Greg's Desert Island Jukebox pick. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Bad dreams got me losing sleep. I'm dead tired, my mind playing tricks. Deceit, a face in the glass, unable to admit defeat. All that I am, all that I was is history. The past unravel, adding insult to this injury. I'm fighting the battle for the soul of the century. Destiny is everything that I pretend to be. Look, and what I did came back to me eventually. The music played on and told me I was meant to be awake. It's unresolved, like everything I had at stake. Illegal activity controls my black symphony. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we have been doing the first of what no doubt will be many 2012 record review bonanzas. Some good records, some bad records here, Greg. Now it's The Roots' turn. That is a song called Sleep from album number 11 in their long career, Undone, U-N-D-U-N. I don't know if we need to really even introduce the roots. They have long been known, and I'm talking two and a half, going on three decades here, as the best live band in hip-hop, although I think that really pigeonholes this Philadelphia crew. Made their debut in 1993 and have been recording consistently ever since. They've backed up lots of other artists, Erica Badu, we, we talked about Common before, D'Angelo, and there's supposed to be a new D'Angelo record coming with some contributions from the Roots, records of their own, and now they're on TV on the uh, late night talk show with Jimmy Fallon as the house band. 
led by the drummer. Gotta love that. Amir Questlove Thompson. But every member of this band is a virtuoso. That they have been so busy in recent years on television and backing up other groups and still recording on their own is, is truly amazing. People keep waiting for the quality to fall off. Well, has that happened this time or not? Here is a track from The Roots' 11th album, Undone. It's called Stomp on Sound Opinions. We'll come back and give our review. That's the track Stomp from the new Roots album, Undone. Jim, I'm already on record as loving this record. It was number two on my 2011 year-end list. It was a late arrival, one of the last albums to be released last year. The more I play it, the more I love it. I said that this is the Roots' best album in a distinguished career, and I still stand by that assessment. I don't think they've ever done better work. 14 tracks, 38 filler-free moments. What an amazing band. I think people appreciate not only how great they are as a live entity, but also in the studio, coming up with these tracks, basically not relying on samples, but on their own compositions with Questlove's beats at the core. The rest of this octet as well, contributing heavily to these beautiful soundscapes. The album ends with these four sort of mini neoclassical type of songs, which is some of the most beautiful music they've ever made. And then I think Black Thought needs to get some props here as well. I don't think people often mention him as one of the great MCs of the last two decades. I think he's right up there with Jay-Z in terms of the emotional investment that he brings to this material. This is a buy-it record all the way, Jim. 
I agree, Greg. It's definitely a buy-it record, but it is not The Roots' best. You have to go to 1999's Things Fall Apart or 2002's Phrenology. Those are the masterpieces. This is a really, really great record, but there are some things wrong with it. This conceptual conceit that was laid on top of it, where you have this life of a thuggish player, a guy on the streets who loses his life in the drug world, and it starts with him in the coffin, and then the story goes backwards. It's a very James Joyce kind Mm -hmm. of conceit. The ending four-part suite that's part classical music, part free jazz, you know, it's nice, but it doesn't belong here. People keep getting fascinated by the story and the way that this works as a concept album. I ain't buying it. I love it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. There are some wonderful, wonderful tracks. You know, the Roots are tired of being dismissed as great live band, great backing band for other groups. They wanted to, like, self-consciously shout here, hey, we make incredible albums. Yeah, I know that. Your fans know that. You didn't have to try so hard here. Still and all, this is a buy-it record. Don't get me wrong. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us likes to take a trip to the desert island and play you a track on the jukebox that we can't live without. Greg, it's your turn. First of 2012, I'm eager to hear what you got. Jim, thank you. I think we need to catch up a little bit with the great Hubert Sumlin. He died recently. We weren't able to give him a full-on obituary. Now's the time. Maybe people don't recognize that name. Hubert Sumlin was basically the right-hand man for the great Howlin' Wolf through some of his greatest recordings in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Hubert Sumlin was 21 years younger than Wolf when he was hired to be the guitarist in his band. Wolf was somewhat of a father figure to someone and mentored him. In fact, at one point, he kicked him out of the band. He said, you know what? I don't like the way you're accompanying me right now. You need to refocus your style. Basically, someone was playing over Wolf's vocals, and you never played over the Wolf's vocals. You had to let him have his room. So someone dropped the guitar pick and started playing with his fingertips, and that led to one of the most distinctive sounds of, of that era, incredibly influential on guitarists like Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix. In fact, Hendrix and Clapton bonded over the song I'm going to play next. It was recorded at a 1964 session with Wolf, in which you can hear how someone's guitar is basically a second voice on the song. You've got the power of the wolf, and then you've got someone answering him with these incredible leads and fills. He had a style all his own. It wasn't a fluid style, but it was, came at you in sort of spasms, shattering bursts of notes. It was an exciting sound that sounded like no one else in blues. This song, in many ways, is considered the pinnacle of someone's career as a guitar player. Hendrix and Clapton recognized that they soon covered the song It Is Killing Floor from Hubert Sumlin and Howlin' Wolf on Sound Opinions. I should have quit you a long time. 
was Howlin' Wolf's Killing Floor with Hubert Sumlin on guitar, Greg's Desert Island Jukebox pick. The Sound Opinion's Desert Island Jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark Bourbon. Maker's Mark, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we have an in-studio visit from the great Minneapolis band, the Jayhawks. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and Annie Minoff, and our executive producer and fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia, who didn't have Peter Frampton's guitar, but he did have his long-lost voice box. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, this is Josh Campos. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Calling in about the top albums of the year. And I just wanted to mention Jesse Sykes and The Hereafter. Uh, the album was Marble Sun, and it was a phenomenal record. I listened to it all summer long. It was just a phenomenal classic rock album. I heard Almond Brothers all through it, and it was just beautiful. Into your side, to the mystery. comment that uh, I'm very happy that no one has mentioned Radiohead's King of Limbs album as their top album 
I, I think that was just a terrible, terrible record. It was wasn't even a full album. It was eight songs. It was an EP, and mainly just Tom York playing on his Mac. The absence of the band to me seems definitely there. So that's my uh, comment. Looking forward to hearing more podcasts. Take care. Bruno Mars, that song, are you joking? That is the most bubblegum crap I've ever heard. Uh, if you put that on the mixtape, I would never be your friend again. Anyway, thanks. I love your show, but come on. This is Jack from Princeton, Illinois. I love your show. Even though I've heard it a bazillion times, I still cringe a little bit every time you give someone a trash at rating. It always seems so harsh to me. Oh, why do you cause me so much pain? Don't you know you're driving me insane? How can you be so mean? How can you be so mean? But tell me, baby, how can got to figure that people are pouring their heart and soul into their music and i was wondering if you would ever consider switching to something a little kinder like buy it rip it skip it or something like that keep up the great work love your show bye greg jim what's up so i was just listening to some temple of the dog just rocking music and I had an awesome idea for an episode. You need to have the top five guitar solos of all time, like Greg does his top five, Jim does his top five, and then just talk about guitar solos, because guitar solos have somehow gone out of vogue, and they need to come back. All right, I'll keep listening. Take it easy. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.